In this week's episode of Along the Keel, we sit down with Josh and Ted, the founders of 1620 Workwear. From the start, 1620 had made it their mission to deliver high-quality workwear to the underserved blue-collar industry, utilizing custom fabrics, designs, and making 100% of its products right here in the United States. It is a story that definitely embodies the American grit, but better yet, it recognizes a community of men and women who know a thing or two about hard work. This brand certainly rings true to me, having been a boat captain by trade for a long time now, my brother a welder, my grandfather a commercial fisherman, the blue collar community is certainly one that I keep close to my chest. So with that said, for a limited time only, we're going to be launching this episode of Along the Keel with a collaborative 1620 Nyko long sleeve and t-shirt that you can grab at our website. You can also use the link below, so click on the link there and you can, or you can head on over to alongthekeel.com. All these shirts are printed right here in Rhode Island, and they're they're made in Massachusetts with materials sourced from around the United States. It's the most American t-shirt that you're gonna find on the market, made by the most blue collar guys that you're gonna find as well. So anyway, head on over to our website. Also check out 1620 Workwear and listen to the show here on all of your podcasting platforms. But if you wanna watch it, you can head on over to YouTube. Thanks and enjoy the show. Ooh, red red button. <coughs> Josh, Ted. Good meeting you guys. Yeah, good to meet you as well. I know. I feel like, you know, I've been talking with you, Josh, for a long time and thanks for reaching out over on uh was it LinkedIn? I think it was LinkedIn to start, yeah. Yeah. So it's now it's cool to see the see the shop. We're here in in Amesbury, right? Amesbury Mass. Amesbury Mass. A little trek up from Rhode Island. Ted. Nice to meet you. Likewise. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for making the trip up. Yeah, no problem. No, it's really cool to be here. You know, I've always been, um, I've always admired 1620 and what you guys have done, especially in today's day and age where, you know, overcoming challenges like supply chain and issues that, you know, just keeping things more on the home front here in the U.S. is super important. And um, to learn more about your background, I mean, we, we first got introduced to you guys by Mike from Deep Apparel. Mike Croto, yeah. And uh, Mike Croto. Mike, shout out to Mike Croto. Shout out. Great guy, yeah. Love Mike. And and Matt from Deep. Really, two two really good dudes. So really interested in diving deep into something that along the keel, we're kind of taking it inshore a little bit. But at the same time, you guys both have some connections to the water. I know, you know, you're an avid surfer, Josh. I feel like every time on Instagram, you got you're out surfing. <laughs> Just make it look like that. <laughs> Wishful thinking. But um excited to dive in. So Josh, Ted, thank you for coming. Thank you for joining us. Um where did you guys get your start? Because it seems like you guys come from same but similar worlds. And, you know, Ted, we we're talking about earlier today about how you lived in Hong Kong, right outside of, you know, in China. And then Josh being from the snow sport space and being an entrepreneur and, and taking these two ideas and making what is now 1620, which by the way, the name is on point. I love yeah. the name. Some homage. Yeah. I mean, I think Ted and I both were in love with skiing and snow sports for a long time. And that's where we initially had met. Um, mm-hmm. I was uh, a co-founder of a helmet brand. Um, Ted was working on a, on an outerwear brand, a high-end ski outerwear brand, and we would meet at regional shows to start. You know, mutual friends. Kind of, we were the younger dudes in the industry, right? Definitely, yeah. I mean, it was uh, uh, the snow sports uh, revolves around specialty retailers, and they all go to trade shows two or three times mm-hmm. a year. It's a very cyclical business, and 
Um, there's a lot of, I would say, uh, very seasoned sales reps. And then there was mm -hmm. a younger generation that was, you know, fresh out of college and kind of eager to learn and, and kind of make a foothold in the industry. And it, it's a very legacy driven business, snow sports. Mm -hmm. So a lot of relationship selling and stuff like that. So um, anyway, the younger generation, we're still connected with several of the f folks that we knew from that day. It was like 15 years ago, yeah. 15, 16 years ago. And uh Still a tight knit group of people, and a lot still in the ski, yeah. ski and snow sports industry. Seasons is a good way to put the older, <laughs> older reps. When you get an A line, you never let it go. And like you know, they're at the nice restaurants, and the younger dudes are at the the yeah. dive bars at the Providence Regional Show, <laughs> the Manchester Regional Show, and sure and, um, the free uh, after hour, happy free hour. after hour, yeah. happy hour. Nice, and, uh, nice. We always formed a good friendship, and, and we like to have fun. But I think we were both pretty serious about what we wanted to achieve mm -hmm. in the snow sports side of things, and and where we saw opportunity. Um, and we both worked really hard at the roles we were in. Um, and, you know, as our friendship kind of grew, we spent more and more time together and, and we always talked about, you know, what we could potentially work on together. And, um, I was pretty far along with burn and mm -hmm. it was, you know, a pretty rocket brand taking up a lot of time. And, you know, Ted hit me up. I don't know if you want to touch on where you were at. Yeah, it was, um, I had the opportunity to uh, move to mainland China, um, mm. I was working the skewer industry and, just really interested in, in product development and supply chain and logistics and, you know, the path to learning that through a brand was long and the path to learning it in Asia was fast paced. And yeah. so I had an, in, you know, an opportunity to move over there and Josh actually was kind enough at Burn to kind of put me on um, the New England Ski Show on their like party poster. Mm -hmm. Ted's going to China. <laughs> and so, like you know, we were at that time kind of already, you know, talking about what what's next, you know, when I come back from China, what right. skills I'll have and, you know, try to find an opportunity to work together on something and some project. And so the factory that I worked in, we really specialized in like outdoor technical apparel. So, you know, Musto was one of our big customers. We did all yeah. like the HBX. I'm sure a lot of the, the viewers here will know like the HBX oh, yeah. and MPX line. We did all the Heli Hansen stuff. We did all the um, Volvo Ocean Race safety suits um, Interesting. for huh. years and years. And so in this factory, they'd been doing it. So, um, it really specialized on the high-end technical side of uh, apparel and with the best brands. Arcteryx was a customer, Rafa and Nerona. Yeah. And then um, they had a, a really um, great customer that was in the workwear space uh, in Germany. And that was a, a huge portion of their revenue and of our revenue. And, um, you know, was where a lot of time was spent just because mm. of the, you know, the sensitivity and the, and the nature of the customer. So I was able to learn the workwear business in Europe and, and really what they were doing was bringing technical fabrics from Alpine and outdoor and the military mm -hmm. into the workwear category. And it was growing like crazy. I mean, it was the yeah. growth that we saw in the five years that I was there was, I mean, um, larger than any consumer facing brand in the last 10 years in the U S I can say it was a, you know, an incredible rocket ship. Yeah. And, you know, mostly driven by the fact that this customer and this product is uh, it's a consumer staple, right? These guys needed to do their job. And so yep. it was some of this, like some, you know, inside information of what the trends were in Europe. And Josh and I were talking about, you know, Hey, like do we want to start a ski wear brand or do we want to start mm -hmm. a couple, we had a couple other ideas that were interesting. Um, you know, do we want to start a factory whatever? And workwear was something we kept coming back to is like, um, you know, the opportunity marketplace was kind of stale. There mm -hmm. hadn't been much innovation, you know, mm -hmm. certainly, you know, pre-2015, 2016. And there was a few people at the same time as us kind of doing similar things and, and kind of saw the same trends that we saw. But yeah, but really had this idea that, you know, we could, you know, make something better than what's out there and we could make it better here. Right. And I had some, again, just I would say, you know, was able to see all the 
best fabric suppliers in the world and identify a few that were one located in our home state mm-hmm. um, and uh, a few other located in the Carolinas and, and found some fabric partners and kind of tried to forge this journey on our own. But we really, right. um, you know, we landed a, I would say, workwear just because there was a, you know, a huge opportunity. and Sure. Prime for disruption. Yeah. You know, I think that's sort of what, like my specialty at Berm was disrupting the helmet category. Mm. Just shaking up these kind of big players. and. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Ted's specialty was making the best shit. Yeah. So if we combine forces, like, where where is their opportunity? You know, right. We, we've been selling s- stuff, you know, to recreation biz, and it's a completely different customer to, like, you know, snowboarder on the couch in Breckenridge <laughs> to, to, like, you know, a union iron worker. They're just yeah. two different guys. And they spend their money in two different kind of ways. But it was also a category we saw that, all right, there's no premium. Yeah. You know, and it's prime for disruption. Right. You know, Ted knows how to make the best stuff. And I know how to disrupt the category. Like, this is it, right? This is what we should go after. Mm-hmm. This is where there's some real opportunity. Because it's, you know, it's tough in, in the 2000s to even come up with a new brand. The, You know, where we're at when we started the company in 2016, even tougher. Mm. Right? I mean, everything's been done. Everything's been thought of. Just even trademarking something's really hard. You know, right. You talk to a lot of young guys come in, like, I want to do something. I want to start something. It's, you have to find something where there's an opportunity to kind of grow and then it kind of crystallized around where, like, you know, blue collar wasn't as, you know, for lack of a better word, just, like, you know, really looked down upon. Mm-hmm. There was this big cultural shift where it was celebrated, and there was a skilled labor shortage, right. and guys were making real money. Like, you know, it's not like, oh, this guy's coming in my house to work on my toilet. It's like, you're waiting two weeks that guy to come in your house <laughs> yeah. work on your toilet. You're, you're begging paying, for him to come fix the toilet. And you're paying him 100 to 150 bucks an hour. Yeah, it's no joke. Guys are making real money, and, and so... You know, there's this lot of white-collar talent, mm-hmm. not as much opportunity, skilled labor shortage, tons of opportunity to trade, tons of money. So mm-hmm. we just kind of saw this thing where, you know, younger people are great at following opportunity. Mm-hmm. Right? So this, there's some long tail. There's some growth here. Right. And uh, uh, also, like, a lot of Ted's experience, and you could touch on it in Asia, working with, like, outdoor suppliers and stuff. Like, the amount of waste, right, creating new collections, the amount of time. Y- yeah, I mean, that's... Um the sustainability aspect of 1620 just something that we had been conscious of before mm-hmm. we made the first product and before, I don't want to say it was a buzzword, but I had seen the biggest outdoor brands in the world. They fly to Asia with 10 people on a development trip for two mm-hmm. weeks, staying at you know the Intercontinental Hotel and eating at the most expensive steakhouse yeah. and then trying to negotiate for five cents on right. a garment. And like they t- kind of, if they didn't spend this huge amount of money on flying over here they may not need to negotiate for that like little extra margin where right you know of course you know the um negotiation is, is part of the business too but it's kind of missing the bigger picture of it and being then, authentic to them yeah and, and like in that process so there's like mm-hmm. a financial cost but then you know they're cl- creating these big collections that have tons of product that never even sees the light of day that mm. you know it's, it's killed by the specialty retailer who doesn't think they can sell it or it's killed by the factory because they don't meet the minimums or it's killed by the fabric supplier because they can't make the fabric or it's killed because the fabric doesn't get delivered on time to even make it into the, you know, the container before it gets sent over here. So right. there's so many, um, you know, this kind of upfront cost that with these cyclical um, kind of season-based businesses where, you know, they're reinventing the wheel and creating all these, you know, development trips and then the sample and product and it's like mm-hmm. we want to create you know iconic product that our double knee we haven't changed in five years our shop paint we haven't changed in five years mm-hmm. hoodie we've made a couple of tasteful updates to um but you know shorts overalls these are you know products that we will make you know certainly improvements to as mm-hmm. the, you know we get feedback from customers and different things uh, different things arise but we really wanted to 
um, you know, land on something where you just you make great product, and that right. that product doesn't need to be reiterated every year to to sell it and sell something different to the customer. It's basically mm-hmm. the same thing, but different. And um, yeah, so and that's part of the sustainability aspect of it, right? It's like these these guys know, um, you know, they can. That's n- we're not trying to chase a trend or whatever. They they buy it because they need another one, not because they want to buy a new color or they need you know, right. something like what the latest trend. Yeah, is. because something wears out because they need it, and building a better product that's authentic to what you guys are. Mm-hmm. So, like talking about authenticity, you know, there's something to be said about living in New England and dealing with the elements and just the culture up here of work, right? So I gotta imagine that you guys growing up, you know, although grew up differently have now come together there's there's something in your fabric as a human that led you to chase the outdoors to then chase something in the workwear industry right so like speak to me a little bit about growing up and finding your way into the industry that you're in right because that's so much of the the, a company is really a projection of how you grew up you know and in my opinion i mean that's what it seems like right i mean i wouldn't be where i'm at if if I didn't enjoy being on the water and got the opportunity to do that. So, you know, speak to me about like, you know, I know Josh, you're, you're a big surfer. Ted, we haven't dived too much into like your, your childhood growing up, but um, like talk to me about that. Like, where did you guys really get your start? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we probably both grew up very similar, even though we haven't talked a ton about our childhood. Not really, no. no. <laughs> Not childhood, but, you know. decade, but yeah. We both love the outdoors. Yeah. We're both sportsmen. We're both hunters. We're both fishermen. We're both skiers, you know, and um, growing up in New England, and a lot of the guys that are basically kind of avatars for the brand, whether it's family members or friends or this or that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's heavy use environments, right? So I think the essence of what we always wanted to create was something that was kind of kind of meet, you know, it's a focus on work and we're selling mm-hmm. workwear. And that's our target customer and that's who we want to buy it. And that's mm-hmm. what we want the end use to be. But at the same time, we always wanted to have that crossover because the working guy has an active outdoor lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, the weekend warrior, the weekend working guy, the guy if he's working on a car or it's DIY home improvement, he's got an active kind of outdoor lifestyle. So I think like a lot of our values, you know, are definitely in our brand and our product, mm. I would say, right? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I um, we grew up, um, I don't know, probably 30 miles apart from each other here mm-hmm. on the North Shore. So not far, but uh, kind of in a couple of two different towns. I grew up mm-hmm. in a pretty white collar town and, I was the only one that I knew. I didn't have any friends that hunted. I had a few friends that fished. <laughs> that was probably only later in life, you know, maybe in sure. high school when you were looking to kind of get out on the water. But it wasn't something like we did as a friend group. Right. Um, and, um, you know, my family, we, you know, camped and, and hunted and fished. And that was kind of what my dad liked to do. So it was kind of passed those kind of interests on to me in sports mm-hmm. and team sports and stuff like that. And, um, he was not a business person, still isn't a business person, and but it was more, you know, about pursuing your passion and trying as hard as you can to kind of get stuff done. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've never been the biggest or the fastest person, but you just, you know, work hard at it and, you know, you achieve success. And so, you know, I think we, we both rely on a lot on, you know, kind of how our parents taught us and, and kind of, you know, taught, yeah. us, taught us good values. But, you know, bring it back to where, you know, Josh being 30 miles away, he grew up in a town where, um, there's hunting was actually part of the culture and his family mm-hmm. was, was big hunters and there's other people in that he went to high school with. They were big hunters. I, like mm-hmm. I said, I didn't know a single person and we were very close to each other, but like the, the, the climates we grew up in or what, I mean, he, Josh was a little bit older, but it was still, um, it, it's a really interesting thing that we, it's kind of brought us full circle. Right. Um, even with kind of two, 
slightly different, but yeah, yeah it's similar. I think upbringings and family values around yeah. the outdoors, and you know, like we went skiing on the weekends, and we went hunting in the fall, and fishing in the spring, and that was that was it. Yeah. That was yep. It's yeah. wild how diverse New England can be, like across mm-hmm. just like what end uses. But I think one thing that it, it, just having started the company here, mm-hmm. and having started a couple companies here, and having we both worked in different companies here, it's there is a certain New England mentality around quality durability mm-hmm. integrity mm-hmm. doing what you say you're gonna do yep. you know there's we've never listen could we have sold a lot more shit could we have done yeah but it would be sacrificing what we both really want to do with this brand and this right. company you know there's a lot of stuff out there that's just flash in the pan it's bs marketing mm-hmm. we wanted to make the best stuff and have a really authentic brand and, and real guys running it um and it takes time, yeah. You know to do it right. Mm-hmm. You know I think you know money's this thing with brands in the space and brands outside the space that can allow I don't know inauthentic things to happen mm-hmm. and people to buy into because they don't know any better. Right. Um, the one thing you're going to get with sixteen twenty is two guys that have bootstrapped a business from a barn with <laughs> no heat to um, you know kind of where we're at now as a you know a company with you know some real core core values in terms of sustainability because we give a fuck about the outdoors yeah. um making the best stuff because that's what we're passionate about and what ted's really passionate about making a, a really core authentic brand that you can be proud of that's mm-hmm. never bs and never faking it never trying to be something that we're not which you know i'm super proud of mm-hmm. and you know i think we're trying to just create that culture you know, we want to make something that's real and sustainable and has mm-hmm. value and can do things you know, for the next 5, 10, 15 years. Yeah. You know, and create that real foundation for it. Because we've all seen companies that, like, just chase it for the wrong reasons. Chasing the trend. Yeah. Yep. And, I, you know, you can make some money. You can make some money quick. Right. We, with Ted's relationships and his knowledge, I mean, we could be importing flannels for 10 bucks and selling them for 80 bucks, and Right. Be in a bigger place and mm-hmm. be driving better trucks and all that kind of stuff. But it, it's, everyone, anyone can do that. Right. You can develop a product from behind a computer with a Zoom call. Like, that stuff's easy. Mm-hmm. Like, doing what we're doing is harder. And the guys who get it, like our real customers that get it and mm-hmm. see what we're doing and see the product, like, that's where I think we're going to win and where we're winning and where you're going to w- kind of win long term. Yeah. Know? And it's appreciated too. Like, the guys that are wearing your stuff are, like, you were just saying that you guys do a lot of stuff with some military guys. And they're sending you pictures downrange with, with gear that if if it fails, there's a serious problem. Like, yeah, you maybe you blow your inseam out and here you're in your state side, but like, yeah, all right, we'll go get it fixed. If you're in Afghanistan, that's another story, For right? Sure, yeah. So you bring up a good point, which is there's something about New England and hard work and integrity. And <clears throat> it was funny when I when I moved to Hawaii and I was a captain out there, one of the reasons why the guy hired me, he goes, Where are you from? I go, I'm from Rhode Island. He goes, From the Northeast? I go, yeah, he goes, all right, you're hired. And I go, <laughs> what do you mean? He goes, well, if you were from anywhere, if you were from the West Coast, not knocking anyone on the West Coast, he'd be like, you probably wouldn't have showed up to work because the surf's, the surf's hot that day. And I'm like, oh, all right, I got a, you got a point. Um, but at the time, you know, it, it, I didn't really realize it until I came back. And I was like, wow, there is so much innovation, so much, like, people just want to work, right? So for you guys to be here not only from that perspective, but also historically, right? I mean, your name's 1620 for a reason, right? So kind of speak to in the fa- in, in utilizing kind of 
what you guys have learned, where the brand's going. Like, tell me about the history of it, right? Because, like, the American worker right now is at this pinnacle where there is, uh, there's not as many people working, right? And then the blue collar does kind of get looked down upon, but now it's kind of coming back up. My brother just got back from welding school in Missouri, and now he's welding subs at EB, right? So there's this huge resurgence of guys that want to get back to work and are, like, working hard. Now, what does it mean to be kind of at the forefront of, hey, there's a guy welding a U.S. submarine that's going to go fight whomever, and they're wearing your pants? Like, how does that make you feel? Yeah, I mean, it, it makes us feel great. I mean, I think that's why we're doing it, right? Like, these guys have been forced to wear product that underperforms their entire career and i mean the new generation is, is one thing and i think the new generation is like that's a you know huge opportunity and, and growth ahead for us but as far as like you know a lot of guys that have never had the opportunity to, to wear performance fabric or you know guys that have whatever mobility problems that you know um there's a lot of benefit to our product that's kind of um that's inherent to the product but just kind of these subtle uh, details that make things a little bit easier for these guys to do their jobs and Thinking about that, I mean, it makes us certainly feel great that uh, that we can contribute to that and kind of, I don't want to say champion this guy, but but make sure that he has the right gear to do the job again because I think he's been overlooked on the mm. product side. And these guys have just been, you know, worried about how cheap can we make the product because this guy, you know, wants to buy, you know, can buy five or ten a year and he's spending three, four, five hundred bucks. And it's like, why not spend that three or four, five hundred dollars on a pair of pants that's going to give you extra benefit? You're only right. going to have to buy two or three a year and they're going to, you know, seven or eight are going to be out of the landfill. I mean, mm -hmm. it's still a consumable product, guys. Welding, they're going to go through stuff. There's no one's going to make For an sure. indestructible pan. Anyone that does is lying. Right. Um, but we're trying to, you know, while they're wearing it and while they're able to use the product, have the best performance possible. And I mean, that's what really what it's all about is law, you know, allow these guys to do their job better. Right. And that's sustainable in its, in and of itself, right? Like the less we have to use, the less waste there is, the, the less, I mean, you guys make a, a really rad product, but you're almost kind of, like you said earlier, you're kind of pricing yourself out, right? Like you, you're, you're making something really, really good that's going to be at a premium, but they're only going to buy it like, you know, once or twice a year if they're really going through it, you know, versus you go wear, you know, a pair of the other brand and they're going through it every week, you know, they just burn right through them. I mean, every guy's so different. Peep, you know, everyone's kind of hyped on, you know, fast fashion and what's really wasteful mm -hmm. there's a lot of people talking about her plastics and products and stuff workwear is arguably the most wasteful clothing cutter i mean because mm. stuff's made to be destroyed and still what shred 75 percent of the workforce is in jeans maybe still jeans are just the most prevalent thing because guys can't get their head around i'm gonna spend how much on this and then i'm gonna work on them and destroy them but at the same time, you know, they have best-in-class tools, best-in-class boots. Mm -hmm. They're wearing QU if they're hunting on the weekend. They wear they wear all nice stuff, but then they just, oh, I'm just going to wear this. I'm going to trash it because they're so used to stuff that gets trashed so easy. Right. But then when we finally convert them into a pair of 1620, they're like, man, I can't believe, you know, I've been in these things a year. They're still sick, like best money I've ever spent. Right. And at the end of the day, like buying shitty work where it blows out, it costs you more money. The average price is still sixty nine, seventy nine bucks. You know, like there's the thirty dollar and the twenty dollar walls you're gonna mm -hmm. buy at Walmart. You know, our stuff outlasts those pants three to five X. Mm -hmm. Um, and we back it and we repair it. So there's a lot more like inherent value what we're making, you know, and durability is more sustainable. Mm -hmm. You know, making stuff in America is, is is way more sustainable than any free trade factory in the world. It's mm -hmm. just how tough our restrictions are environmentally 
if you're making stuff in the U.S. with the footprint of it and with, you know, what we're environmentally restricted to do in, in clothing manufacturing, it is the most sustainable, greenest way to make anything. Mm-hmm. And so we're proud of that, you know, and like we want to be the most sustainable workwear in the category. Like we want to make stuff that lasts longer. We want to make it in the States. We want to mm-hmm. make, we want to have, you know, a reused workwear program, this patina program that we've developed. We want to be this kind of standalone because we've seen, and Ted more so than I, you know, it's it's a race to the bottom, and it's yeah. in the rag game can be really an ugly game, mm. you know. And I think it it matters, and the American consumer is leading the world, and with the, the decisions they make, and what we what we decide to wear, and what we decide to buy, it it dictates everything globally, mm-hmm. right? So that's been probably the most exciting thing for us, because yeah. It's a totally different model where you get a lot of these companies like, oh, you know, we're cutting the middleman out. You're going to save all this money. Right. Like, we came out and, like, our shit's two to three times X. We charge for shipping. Like, it's mm-hmm. a total antithesis of the digital model. It should have never worked. Mm-hmm. But this guy's been dying for better stuff. Right. He's been dying for it. Mm-hmm. He still spends two grand a year on Carhartt and hates all of it. Right. You know, so it's... It's been interesting. It's been, we've learned a lot. Like we had theories and we had, you know, a lot of these things in our, in our original business plan and like to see them really come true, to read customer reviews that like we wrote, that shit has tripped me out. You know, it's really, (laughs) it's really cool to see. Like we wrote the same thing in our business plan. The customer is saying the same thing back to us two years later. Like, right. That's been, I think, one of the coolest things. Yeah. Now how, you know, being made in the U.S. because we're in, we're in mass, right? The place where the United States started. Right, and you guys are sixteen twenty for a reason. What does it mean to be made in the USA? Different things for everyone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, somewhat of an. I mean, not nuanced. It's pretty straightforward. I mean, you know, for us, see, you know, it means to be. You know, everything is made here. So, um, fabric is woven in North Carolina, uh, in Massachusetts, and then we do our cut and sew here in Massachusetts, and mm-hmm. then also some in, in North Carolina. Um, and, you know, but I, I think for us, the Made in USA is really, uh, it's more about, like, uh, I want to say a, a conscious decision for mm-hmm. our customer. Like, we know our customer has to spend more because it's Made in USA. We could make similar product sp- significantly cheaper in asia with Mm -hmm. similar materials and um but you know uh it's not um i would say certainly not as josh was just kind of alluding to as far as like the uh uh, working conditions and and um you know supporting people and Mm -hmm. like supporting local communities and it's like you know a part of this and one of our investors had said something recently where you know we have 10 employees and it's like how does that make you feel it's like you are responsible for 10 salaries you know 10 people living and you know it's like c- came up on us quick you know we mm-hmm. ended the year with uh, last year 2021 2020 we ended with three last year we ended with seven and so we have 10 now wow and um plus we are you know about 80 percent of a factory that employs 40 people and that's and awesome supporting all of their jobs so it's like you, you know we really have a big impact on our local economy here in massachusetts and mm-hmm. being able to you know basically i don't say create jobs because that's not really what we set out to do but mm-hmm. you know the made in usa means that like the labor and the value and everything is staying here because that means that that person is spending their money on they're paying their taxes that are also you know going to fund whatever you know th- uh, infrastructure projects and, and right. they're also um, you know supporting their local businesses and their local community and so it kind of pays it forward versus 
significant amount of that um, you know money going into a, a company in Hong Kong or a, you mm-hmm. know <clears throat> somewhere else in in Asia or Central America or something like that where there's a lot of value that stays in there. Maybe you're you know a lot more of that is probably going into you know a corporation's pocket than actually to the worker. So yeah. Yeah. Now, I've always been, I mean, a big part of this podcast was developed modeling after dirty jobs. I'm sure you guys are familiar with Micro. Sure. sure. Mike. Love Micro. Put some 1620. Um, what is this Wrangler shit? <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Micro. Um, so, you know, and it's, oh, I, I mean, I can remember watching it as a kid just being kind of in awe of the American worker, right? And being made in the USA. I mean, you can. You can uh, you can probably talk to my my family and my brother and and be like, man, Zach's obsessed with anything that's made in the USA, right? Awesome. Like, if I had to buy tools, they were made in the US. Like, I bought Craftsman tools when I was a kid, but they were made in the USA Craftsman tools, right? Like, if I'm gonna save all my money up and I'm gonna buy a Snap-on toolbox, right? Something that's made in the United States, and <clears throat> that's for me has always been super powerful. But to hear the story about how you guys started in a barn. And now we're in this, how big is this facility now? Close to 10,000 square square foot facility. Really cool, by the way. Um, What was that transition like? Like, what was the beginning days of, I'm assuming the barn wasn't exactly heated or or very way laid out. You know, there was probably a lot of other stuff going on there. Like, what was that, what were those beginning days like? Stressful. (laughs) <laughs> Some fu- fun, freeing. I mean, we w- listen, we called it 1620, you know, because of mass roots, but we, we were both kind of leaving oppressive environments where we knew what our, like, output and impact were at the places we were working, mm-hmm. and we knew how undervalued we were. Mm. And we knew what we were responsible for in terms of what these companies were actually making, mm-hmm. you know, from profit to product to whatever. And we were sick of it, mm. and we wanted to change. And so it's sort of like getting in boats and setting sail and <laughs> going on our own to, the like to an uncharted and going on our own. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's a lot. And, and we're Massachusetts natives. We wanted to make stuff locally. So it's a lot of like where kind of 1620 kind of comes from. Um, I will say that like my business partner, God bless him, he had a real crystalline vision of like what he wanted to make in this category. Mm. And, and so, you know, he came into it really early with like, you know, this is what I know is going to revolutionize. This is what I know is going to be, this is going to be so different. No one's doing anything like this, you know, and on the branding sales side, when we started, it was even more entrenched in, I mean, there was probably even more $25 pants on the shelves. Mm. So I knew that like, you know, and it's still to this day, like if anyone's going to hate on us on social, like who the fuck's going to win? <laughs> you know, it, cost and price aversion is a factor with this customer. And we're not making it for every dude who goes to work outside of an office every day. We mm-hmm. knew coming into this that this isn't the job, this isn't the clothing for everyone. We want to hit the top 15 to 25%, you know, skilled labor in terms of, of their earning potential or the guys who want the best stuff regardless of mm-hmm. how much money they make. And we know there's a customer out there. You know, there's, you know, price points kind of hour of the hour. But like in those early days, heading into our launch collection, I mean, it was kind of, kind of, before we sold anything, it was kind of like we didn't know how it was going to go. And then, I've, I mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, when we had three years, which was basically just Josh and I were the only two employees. So we you know, did everything from customer service to pick, pack, ship to, mm-hmm. you know, production and, and everything product. Um, and 
uh, it was a very hands-on time, so there's a lot of stuff to like fill your day with, like little <laughs> kind of tasks that are, are sure. Um, but you know, we also worked really hard in planning. We spent a lot of time. We had some good early advice from some folks that, you know, just you know make a good plan and stick to it. And so we kind of did a lot of research and kind of you know we spent, I would you know it was almost thirty percent of our time honestly planning, but like mm. really looking towards the future. And that's what Josh was talking about earlier about some of the customer reviews reflecting what our initial assumptions were about this category and about this customer and what mm -hmm. they were looking for and what they needed in 2017 are true in 2022. You know, they may not have been true then. It may not have, it you know took some time to catch up. But we thought this is what the customer's going to say and they're going to need. And right. we were true on several different points and have been, you know, imitated by a couple of other folks that, that kind of had, you know, um, you know, sim <laughs> similar insights based on, you know, our insight or, you know, yeah. based on our conversations and, and whatnot. And, um, it was, uh, I think it was a lot of fun. I think, you know, both Josh and I, it was uh, certainly stressful at times and, you know, was, um, it was modest and we were able to raise money in that barn. Mm -hmm. Uh, we've certainly, we've raised our first round entirely in that barn with, um, you know, people believing in us and our vision and, you know, it was, in the beginning, there was some other stuff in there, and then we were able to clean it out, and it was a beautiful setting. That yeah. was actually, I would say, like one of the the things I, I certainly missed the most. And um, you guys might have the opportunity to see it later, but <laughs> it's kind of right on the Palm Island Sound, all right? I think that's what it is, or like the yeah, yeah kind of you can see like the Edge salt the pans of the okay. Palm Island yeah. um, National Wildlife Refuge there. Mm -hmm. And um, so you're there and seeing deer and egrets and all sorts of wildlife every day. And mm -hmm. it was a super nice environment, salt air. And I, <laughs> I was, you know, I had moved, I was living in China for five years prior to that. So it was like breathing in, you know, not great air. And right. so it was just, it was actually a good place to kind of be inspired. Yeah. Um, and Josh's grandfather's a, a legendary artist and there's a lot of art in there. And it was just like a, it was good juju in that space. You yeah. Know, for, for whatever, you know, for not having you know, Wi-Fi, not having plumbing, not having heat. <laughs> there was like a, a lot of things, maybe having one outlet and, <laughs> and a, um, and a couple of extension cords, but yeah. no, it was, um, you know, a, a lot of great memories in that time. And I think like it inspired us to, again, like, you know, there's not a, a, it wasn't a ton of orders to pick. In fact, there was, but it, there's a lot of work to do. And sure. Again, a lot of the stuff that we see now we had, it's definitely because of the hard work we did at that time for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, Josh, you said something a little bit, you know, just briefly. It was, we both left our jobs because we felt undervalued, right? And I think for a lack of a better term, a lot of skilled laborers here in the United States feel the same way because all of a sudden, like you drive down the road and people are like, oh yeah, the road is here. So we're just going to drive down it. Or, you know, why is, why is the toilet not work right now? Or they just assume things are going to work, but there's, there's a whole country around just that, just making sure the country stays where it needs to be and where people are, you know, being able to turn the lights on. You know, I think it was a, a Joe Rogan skit where, you know, he's talking about if there was just Armageddon and the lights all went out and we're all, they all just come to the middle of the cul-de-sac with their pitchforks and, and you know, uh, lights torches. or what, torches. Yeah, torches. And they're like, oh, well, someone's doing it. You know, I don't know who, but someone's doing it, mm -hmm. right? But those people that are doing it are kind of the unsung heroes, right? So in your own right, you guys were kind of the people that were unsung, but yet you took the next step and you took the leap of faith. Now, in that barn, I got to imagine there was probably moments where it was like, man, holy crap. We, we just got to keep going. 
right? Like we, we, you guys stay inspired knowing that you're serving a community that's underserved and undervalued. So what was some of the moments there where it was like, man, this is, uh, this is getting tough, but we're just going to keep push through it. Like we're going to keep going. I mean, if anyone's trying to start a company or raise capital, it's, it's challenging. And I think one of the bigger obstacles for us is just like you were touching on earlier, like people are so insulated to how things actually get done and how infrastructure guys literally risking their lives in night shifts. Like they just white collar is completely disassociated. Mm-hmm. With they just completely detached. And those are typically the operators that control private equity <laughs> and control places where you're, you're kind of raising money. So different story now. Um, but early on, it's tough. You know, they, they can't kind of, they make the connection of like a, a plumber is going to pay this much for a pair of pants because like when a guy's coming to hang cabinets in their house, they're not even talking to that person. Their wife is right. or their interior decorator is. So there was a, there's a, a big kind of detachment there. So, you know, raising capital is not easy. Mm. It's be- definitely not easy when you're just starting out and it's a business plan. It's a concept and it's unproven. And we had some insane meetings, um, You've worked all of these connections to have some insane meetings with some amazing people that have all given us great advice and it was all kind of led us to where we're at right now. But those are challenging times because if you're selling anything online, every it takes money to make money. Mm-hmm. You have to be in a position. And Ted and I both come from pretty modest places, you know, like small schools are not like, you know, Harvard biz grads. And we don't have these insane networks that a lot of um, people that are able to put together very successful startup companies just based upon their network and right. friends and family net worth and all this kind of stuff. And not that we're crying poor or anything, but like we had to really do it from scratch, mm. like all these relationships and all these ideas. And, and um, yeah, I mean, absolutely scary moments for sure. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, luckily we, we definitely proved something mm. and proved something to the category and disrupted it, you know, and from our launch collection till now, and I don't want to jinx us, but it's <laughs> been a, it's been growth. It's been growth. Yeah. It's been growth. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it just goes to show that everyone undervalued the guy you see in a bucket truck. Yeah. You know, when you're driving home from work, Yeah. everyone undervalued this customer. You know, they don't mm-hmm. think that they don't see what's in his garage. They don't right. see the $25,000 motorcycle or the $40,000 boat. They just, people are just detached. Like mm-hmm. to make money, you had to do this and you got to be on the train and you got to, it's yep. just, it's, it's changing big time now. But when we initially started, it was still very much, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll be 46 in September. So like when I was graduating high school, my friends that have decided to go into the trades or go into a trade school or anything, mm-hmm. and they weren't going to college, it was like, oh, you know what's going to happen to so and so, right? With his now with his two vacation homes, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah, hundred so percent. It's uh, it's been interesting to kind of see that. And and listen, man, we're so proud. There's, it's so cool to work with a customer like this. Yeah, you know, it's just the guys who come in this building and and buy our stuff, and and some of our great customers that are out there. When you talk to them, and they're just, they're just so real. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why we're not worried about what we're doing. Right, you cannot bullshit this customer i don't care no. how much you spend on facebook ads mm-hmm. can't yep it's all about what you make mm-hmm. and how good is it yeah and shit product is shit product mm-hmm. that's all there is to it yep 100 you percent. Know? yeah i couldn't agree more i mean and like i said earlier you guys are making product that that really matters you know like 
as a captain in in being out there and doing rescue work, salvage work, like being on the maritime industry, like you step on a boat and something doesn't work, well, that could totally curtail your day and, you know, prevent you from going doing your job, you know, and having a good pair of pants and having a good pair of gear is super, super important. So what I'm really curious about is there's not, it's not often we get to talk to partners in a business, right? Because a lot of times it's like there's there's one person here and then there's investors or maybe they're just starting out and they're just getting started. And it's been really neat to be able to interview almost, I think coming up on like 90, almost to 100 now. So wow. it's been it's been a lot of fun. But I think you guys are the, maybe because it was Matt and Mike from Deep and then maybe a couple other ones that we've done where there's partners. So you guys met, right? Working in the same industry but decided to come together. And that's kind of like Tyler and I have been, we've recently decided, all right, we're going to do this thing together, right? But <clears throat> putting two minds together is always going to make, you, you can, what was it, Tyler? You said, um, you know, go by yourself and you can go fast, but go together and you can go far, you know? I like that, Tyler. Yeah, Tyler's a smart guy. Cool. <laughs> you write that on our wall in here. That's it. That mantra. That's it. So, and another thing that I always take, and, and you pointed out the hook and gaff sticker, Michael Sims said, you know, building a brand that lasts. And by staying together and thinking, all right, this is, we're going to keep this, we're going to keep this going that lasts. Looking down the road, you know, how has your partnership been able to bring you guys to where you are today? Because it seems like you're very much so on, you know, the branding side, the sales side, Josh, Ted, you're like in the weeds on all things manufacturing the nuts and bolts, the operation side of things. And that's two really powerful people coming together and being like, man, we can rock, we can rock the world here. I feel lucky that I have Ted as a partner. I feel like we complement each other really well. And I think at the end of the day, if you want to be successful, man, you got to take ego out of it and you got to focus on what your strengths are and appreciate your partner's strengths. Cause it's like, it's you guys against the world. I think we realized pretty early and I'll, I'll shut up after not cause I can, talk too much but i think we realized pretty <laughs> early that like it was us against the world and like faith in each other and believing in each other and pushing each other but always kind of having each other's back was going to get us you know yeah i i think actually we um we have uh, different points of view on certain things uh, but we have similar points of view on the things that matter mm. um and so it's a allowed for a good push and pull and discussion and it hasn't been like um, yes, Ted, or yes, Josh. It's been like, you know, this, let's figure out what's the best for us as a partnership and us as a business and, mm -hmm. you know, what's going to drive this thing forward the fastest. And, you know, some, you know, we've been, we've all said it, but we've been fortunate to get some really good advice, you know, from advisors and investors over the years and like staying on the field and making sure that like we maintain cash in the, in the business mm -hmm. and, you know, don't lose money and don't spend more than, you know, just like general rules to live by in life, right? Don't spend more than you make and some of these other things, which is the antithesis of what most startups are, you know, kind of people, investors kind of pour money into them to burn money to kind of grow the business and they worry about profitability later. But as we see in what's going on in the public markets, that doesn't always work out. So, right. um, you know, we've been conscious from day one to like, you know, manage the business from a, 
um, you know, the aspect of like, we want to build a brand that's going to last a long time. We want to build great product and mm -hmm. like the other stuff we'll figure out later as it comes and really focus on those two key things and not lose sight of those two key things. And, um, you know, I think if it was just me and I'm not going to speak for just Josh, but I probably would have run out of money by now. And if it's just Josh, <laughs> just because you don't have somebody to say, Hey, we shouldn't be doing that. We shouldn't, you know, or like, should we be doing that? Yeah. It's like, you know, there's this other opportunity or, just to present like a counter view to my view and then you're able to like put things in check or decide well you know this is still the right way to go on both sides of the ball so it's it's been um i think you know really beneficial and allowed us to you know kind of maintain the path that we've been on is to have that kind of that yin and yang and but still again like be aligned on the core things that we want to achieve and then mm -hmm. you know come at it from a couple of different perspectives and you know, never trying to dilute the product, never trying to dilute the brand, and then making sure that we always have cash in the bank and that we're, you know, kind of managing the business from uh, actually a managing the business perspective. And, right. um, you know, I didn't have any direct management experience before this, and I think Josh was, he was on the, the branding side and involved in the, the building of the business, but the, you guys had a finance team and oh, an operations sure, team. Yeah. So it was like, you know, we're both coming from a place that this is our, the first time is like actual like the figure it C, out this d2 senior executives that have to figure it out and um so the um yeah this like the yin and yang works really well to kind of balance this out and um you know it's i saw um, i saw a meme the other day this isn't like <laughs> this isn't uh related to this but i saw a meme the other day that was like those two types of people in the world, like I want to go to bed at ten or I want to go out at ten, yeah. and they marry each other. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this yeah, is yeah. like Josh and I was like, yeah. but it's uh, anyway. No, but listen, it, partnerships it, are tough. Yeah, Ted and I, uh, we've had our battles, but I think at the end of the day, we just respect each other a shitload. Yeah, and uh, we both want, like Ted alluded to, like we both want the same thing. Mm -hmm. We both really want this to be as successful as it can, and we have a responsibility to the people that have believed in us and invested in us and their time and their money and the people that have bought our gear. Yeah. Like to, to not change our core value is what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it's really easy to do. Yeah. You know, and like it's, and, and we're looking at, you know, all that stuff gets presented to us a lot. You know, there's a lot of opportunity to sell out. There's a lot of mm -hmm. opportunity to do a lot of different things. And like, we're just, you know, we're head down. And yeah. we just want to make it the best brand and best product that we can mm -hmm. um, for the right reasons. Right. How do you guys navigate those waters? Like, how do you say, this opportunity sounds great and it's awesome, but you know what? Doesn't quite fit the mold. Or that does sound like a good opportunity. Like, let's actually chase that and see where it goes. And if it doesn't work, like, no problem. But if it does, I mean, that's a new, that's a totally new market. Well, yeah, I mean, there's, yeah, I mean, there's so many opportunities at work right now that we can't fully capitalize. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting because it's like, I think one of the reasons we've been successful is we haven't chased a ton of opportunity. I mean, we like we know what our opportunity, we know where we're really good at, which mm -hmm. is making great product and you know, building a good brand and selling online and having great customers have great experiences and then coming back to buy more and mm -hmm. um, and there is a lot of, you know, whether it's you know there's a lot of rabbit holes to go down and I think we've been really good again this is like this yin and yang of like not going down too many rabbit holes and, mm -hmm. and like we're actually the opportunities generally present themselves when we go out and find them and then we're able to kind of control the opportunity more than being passive and like the stuff that comes and people that try to come to us is more I don't know not that you know we don't look out for it, but I, I just feel like um, 
the best opportunities come from, you know, things that are like we determine is best for the business and we need to go and find the best way to solve this problem or to, to, to you know, get this opportunity and mm -hmm. capitalize on it versus like there's a lot of, especially right now, there's a lot of people sending a lot of cold emails, offering to do a lot of different things and a lot of, a lot of opportunities. And it's like, you know, we, it, it's, it's very difficult to navigate that. But then when we say, all right, well, you know, this is what we need to do. And we go and you know, lay the problem out. This is mm -hmm. what we need to solve. And, um, I think the outcome ends, ends up being much better. Not, it's not, um, not always get the opportunity to spend as much time as you want on making decisions like that. But, uh, yeah, I, th I think it's like, like I said, when we go out and, and try to find uh, what the best solution is, is, is always the, the best outcome versus um, just kind of being sold into something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think like the business too at this stage, like we we're, we execute on some things really well and some things we don't execute on really well. And I think there's there's so many things that are already in motion that we know what the row mm -hmm. is or we know what the ROI is or and, and we know we can – you know, execute them better where that kind of limits, not that it puts like blinders on you, but it's sort of like, all right, this is proven and you know, we do this. Mm. You know, why would we schism out, schism out this? Cause we still haven't totally you know, nailed this avenue of our business or this or that. So, right. um, and those are like businesses, any, any, any business that's growing faster than because we've doubled, you know, doubled or more than doubled the business the last four years. Wow. So it's the pace, you know, so you, we know it works and there's a lot to it. Yeah. You know, like we just, to be honest, like we help. So if anyone's honest. <laughs> no, but like, you know, it's, we need more bodies. Yeah. And we need to continue to grow the business and we need more people in the field to kind of help us do it. Sure. But like, like Ted's saying, I think like if we were just stuck in this limbo and we're like, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen today. Mm. You'd probably be more a little scattered for opportunities to kind of pop up this and that. Mm -hmm. The serious ones we know and we'll vet together and we'll look at them, but there's, like, I know, like, on the sales and marketing side of the ball, like, there's a shitload of stuff that I need to execute in mm. a better way, which kind of keeps me more just in line and, and yeah. kind of jumping around and wasting time on stuff that, you know, isn't going to be time well spent. Right, right. Yeah. Another thing that Michael says is time well spent. Well, he's also a watch company, so kinda, <laughs> you know, a little pun there. For sure. Um, <clears throat> so as you guys kind of continue and trot down this path, right, and – where do we see 1620 moving in the next five years, right? I mean, there's a lot going on right now in the United States, you know, just a lot of random stuff, right? We could we could just leave it at that. But the American worker is always going to be there. Like, that's, people are always need their electricity. People are always going to need their plumbing. People always need stuff to weld. So where do you guys see yourself growing? And, and, and what's the what's the end goal? I mean, the the end goal is the same as the original goal, which is to continue to make the best product for this customer. And I think that includes expanding the product options that we have. You know, we think there's a some big opportunities on the more industrial side of this business. Um, there's a lot of big companies that all buy uniforms and mm -hmm. products, you know, apparel for their customers. And we think we make great product that, that benefits workers, that is safer on the job, that it reduces fatigue, that's actually like... You know, and we know actually on the microcosm scale that we have had some success selling mm -hmm. into the B2B market on the small to medium and say like fairly large size. And, um, you know, I, so I think that, you know, we can certainly be a, a major player in that uh, B2B business and, mm -hmm. and, you know, selling to the best corporations that, that want that also make stuff here, you mm -hmm. know, whether it be a, a 
car factory or a beer company or you know right now again they're they're all for forced to um, buy the same uh, antiquated product because they're it's focused on price and focused on what the bottom dollar is not focused on things that you know benefit the end use and I think right. that like you know making um, retaining and keeping workers and, and making things more efficient and you know by giving them better stuff to wear and better uniforms and making them mm-hmm. you know feel like the the companies value them more is definitely going to be one of these soft factors that I think major corporations and manufacturers are going to have to lean into over the next few years. Mm-hmm. Sure. So I think that we can be a part of that. Um, and like, there's just a ton of industry, aerospace and uh, aviation and, um, you know, agriculture. There's just, yeah. there's a lot of people that make and produce a lot of stuff here in the U S and we want to be, you know, outfit that on a larger scale and partner with some larger businesses. Sure. Um, you know, and I think that we want to make you know, get into certain things like uh, technical outerwear mm-hmm. for this customer. Uh, we want to get into, you know, cold, more cold weather gear. We wanted to get into more warm weather gear. We think there's a lot still of opportunity with American fabrics and American, uh, you know, fabric technology that this customer is currently being made here, sent to Mexico, sent to Asia to be made into a garment and sent yeah. back here in the form of a finished garment that's you know, sold at a box store, and I think right. we can make this better here for our specific customer. And, you know, we know just from pretty much every brand over the course of time, brands that are focused on making better stuff, mm. those brands grow kind of outside their core interest base, right? And so, like, we want to make better mm. stuff. We're not going to lose focus on making better stuff for the working guy, but we see that there's a lot of people that are going to look for better, longer-lasting gear over the next five or ten years. Mm-hmm. And 1620 is going to be the top of the list because there's not a lot of brands that are out there trying to make better apparel in general. Forget about for the right. worker category, forget about for athleisure, any, any of these guys. There's, there's some people focused at the top, but the majority of the brands are focused on the middle at the bottom. Mm-hmm. That's where a ton of the, I don't want to say innovation is, but the innovation is on price. It's like, how do we make this cheaper? How do we make this more right. efficient? So we want to make, how do we make this better? Mm-hmm. How do we make, you know, and from head to toe, base layer to outer layer for this customer? And, you know, like I said, we just, we know from brands that have done that, that focused on outdoor, they focused on um, specific market segments and that stuff's grown just because people seek out better product over time. Right. So there's, you know, growth from, you know, that on the consumer facing side and on the B2B side and industrial side. Um, just and continue then, to yeah. just kind of disrupt what people think the category is. You know, if you had $100 for everyone who told us no one's going to buy our pants because they're mm-hmm. too expensive, we had $100 for everyone who told us we're crazy to make stuff in the U.S. And if we had another $100 for everyone who told us we were geniuses for making it in the U.S. the last 24 months, <laughs> everyone's going to tell you a bunch of shit. Like, yeah. you have a vision, stick to it. Mm-hmm. Do what you know you need to do. You know, and like our vision hasn't changed from the first time we put pen to paper on our business plan until now. Yeah. And I think, like, at the end of the day, the consumer can smell authenticity a mile away just like they can smell bullshit. And mm-hmm. that's what we're trying to do is do the real stuff. And, and again, like Ted said, we leave with product. We're just yeah. all about making the best stuff in this category. And um, we think we've made some great stuff. We think we're going to continue to make even some better stuff. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, it's all about the, the consumer and the customer. And so we're just trying to make you know, their experience awesome. We're trying to anyone's had any any frustrations or any pain points in, in our process just know that we're working to make all those things kind of better too with yeah. like cs and the web interface and all these kind of things that go along with a small kind of growing brand and mm-hmm. and we wouldn't be anywhere without these guys who kind of believed in us and that's the coolest thing is to like is to get those messages and talk to those guys like i bought this pant this year and look at it and it's still mm-hmm. great and i've been buying you know buy i can't wait till you come out with this like man that it's so hard earned yeah you know not just like 
the newest like cheap whatever right that's you know has a lot raise a lot of money to advertise online it's, right you know it's it's legit stories it's yeah. like you're you're actually making an impact in that guy's life or gal's life has there been one that's like stuck out to you that someone's come back with oh there's been a ton i think one of the cooler ones is um like that guy that put it um the guy who had that big gash in his leg and the double knee he went to the doctor. Uh, some guy got a pretty bad. He was like a Missouri guy. Mm. And he was working on some sort of piece of farm equipment. Came in. Cut his leg pretty good. He had like six or seven stitches, but he was wearing a Nyko double knee. And these mm. are not cut-proof pants. I'm not advertising that. But the doc even said in his pants in there, he's like, it's a good thing you were wearing these because, you know, stuff like that's really cool to hear. Yeah. And then it's just like the insane customer. We have some customers. <laughs> yeah, like to yeah I mean, it's just I, I, you know, I think it's like the guy that's been – that's. Uh, you know, our age or a little bit older has been wearing Carhartts and working in the trades for 20 years. And, you know, their first interaction is, is great. And they, you know, they're, they just love the product because they haven't had anything like it. You know, anything they feel like has been really made for them yeah. their entire career. And everyone, you know, people have thought about boots and tools and other ways, trucks, whatever, to make, you know, stuff more convenient for their day. But mm. certainly no one has really focused on pants until we came along. And so... It's uh, it's really cool to read those reviews of guys that have been you know bought every brand and these are you know the best and that's the the majority of our reviews are similar to that it's not you know not just these are great pants but it's like I've you know uh, been working in the trades a long time I have a fair you know fair amount of experience as a consumer and uh, it's a real validation of what we're doing yeah yeah we're not you know we're not sitting here cleaning up I mean we run a good solid strong business but. Our stuff's expensive because we use the best stuff. Mm-hmm. The best stuff costs money, and you get what you pay for. Right. The same is true in every product category. Sorry. Sorry <laughs> to burst everyone's <laughs> bubble, but, like, you get what you pay for. Like, yeah. You know, there's a reason why the tr- uh, truck costs that much money. And right. there's a reason why the pair of boots cost that much money. Right. You know, you, it, the best stuff costs money. Yep. There's no way around it. And, and it just depends what you want to wear. And, and, you know, in this day and age, it's – you want to buy quality. It lasts mm-hmm. longer. It's less trips to the store. It's easier yep. in your gas tank, and you end up saving money. You know, you buy once, cry once. You save money when you buy better stuff. Right. Yep. I 100% agree. Yeah. So with that, I mean, as we kind of wrap things up, you want some free pants, right? I'm <laughs> 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 not gonna say no. Um, what is the what is the term Yankee ingenuity mean to you guys? Hmm. Hard scrabble New Englanders. Yeah, I, I had um, dinner with a guy, uh, somebody I met once, who's a, a CEO of a, a paint company, and um, not that that one, but somebody else. And um, he, I think, it was a you know, they're based somewhere in the Midwest, and uh, you know, he we explained him what we were doing and you know what the business was and you know the growth we were experiencing, and he said, you know, the Northeast in New England is the best innovation anywhere in the world. I mean, it's like literally every entrepreneur that's focused on building there is focused on building better product for whatever it is across. I mean, you know, you can see in New England in biotech, I'm sure. I mean, I think in, in Rhode Island, um, like uh, there's a, I can't even think of the word, um, not zoology, but like um, fish marine research. I oh, think yeah. A, a yep. huge marine research industry. Yep, fisheries. In, in fisheries in um in Rhode Island, um, right. and then you know on the product side, just really focused on innovation. Whereas you have people from the Midwest and the West Coast really focused on sales, not necessarily focused on the product and the input, but focused yeah. on the output and like how how many of these units can I sell? Not like is this a good product <laughs> selling or whatever. And it was a really you know this is like three or four years ago. It was a really interesting observation where it's like you do step back and you look at like 
this area and where we grew up and the, um, you know, 200 years or 300 years before we were, you know, born and the innovation and the industrial revolution that happened here mm -hmm. and just the innovation that went into that. And, yeah, maybe we originally had taken the technology from elsewhere, but it was mm -hmm. at a scale that nobody had ever seen before and used really to you know, change the course of people, the history basically by clothing people and, and you know, providing some of these things on a mass scale that was then used in auto manufacturing and similar, you know, these, these kind of, these processes that mm -hmm. were adapted to kind of every industry you see, every industry that you see today. Um, and so, you know, on a, on a large scale, it's like, this is, you know, the most innovative place in the world as far as, you know, probably per capita. Yeah. And, um, you know, so like Yankee Ingenuity from a, um, you know, like a regional perspective, it's really just like, you know, we're in an area where, you know, everyone is kind of focused on making better product and, and the, the innovation that happens here is kind of outsized to the rest of the, the rest of the country. And so I think mm -hmm. that's kind of Yankee ingenuity to me. I mean, I, I don't know. But that was like yeah, I mean, there's a lot of harsh climates in the world, you know, but the coldest surface water temperature in the world was from recorded in Maine, if I'm correct. I think so. Yeah. I don't want people to get it that like it's you know pitch black at three p.m. <laughs> light till nine thirty a.m. in the winter and like how yeah. gnarly it can be here. Listen, there's lots of cold gnarly places, but I think like just the seasons and what this place is, yeah, it, it um it definitely breeds breeds like ingenuity and, and creativity and um you know just a, a kind of a different way of approaching things. Yeah, you know, I think across kind of all product segments, lifestyles, jobs. You know, and there's a reason why, you know, mariners and guys who work on the water are so respected from here because it's just it's one of the gnarliest places in the world to do it. Yeah, I, yep, I can attest to that. And and at along the keel, our our motto is like earn your summer. You know, like I like that. There's going to be harsh winters, fall, spring. It's cold, it's gnarly, but then you only get three months to play, right. and that's kind of like a good adage to like you know being entrepreneurs, right? Like you work really really hard and there's like brief moments of like it makes it all worth it mm -hmm. you know and and being able to kind of scrap your way through and bootstrap and it sounds like that's exactly what you guys have been doing so yeah. with that thank you guys for coming on the show oh man we appreciate the heck out of it that anyone hopefully people even care what we're talking about <laughs> we, we appreciate that people you know care about what we're doing care about the brand and and um we we welcome all feedback and any kind of communication. Always hit us up. If you're in Massachusetts and you're close to Amesbury, we have a full showroom here. Come in and see us. Come say hello. Try some stuff on. You know, we we do a great holiday gifting program. If you want to make sure your boss gets you some dope shit for Christmas, you know, hit, hit <laughs> us hit us up. It's the best stuff. But um, yeah, thank you. It's cool, and we're big fans of what you do as well, Zach. So thanks. Appreciate you, you that. Too, don't forget about Tyler. <laughs> cool. Thanks, guys. Yeah. We'll see you soon. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Along the Keel. If you'd like to learn more about this brand or business, please use the links below and be sure to give them a like, share, and a follow on social to stay up to date with what they're doing in the future. If you'd like to learn more about the show and want to support what we're doing over here at Along the Keel, then head on over to our website and sign up for our newsletter and give us a like, share, and follow on social. We're always doing our best to keep you connected with the coast and deliver the best stories about those who are working hard and doing what they love. Captain Zach signing off. Until next time, get out there and earn your summer.